Welcome back to Your 1230, the only podcast where our guests tell their story with the help of 12 questions in just 30 minutes. I'm your host, Mike Salitro, and today we are very excited to be speaking with Corby Mitleide. Corby is a world-renowned psychic medium based in upstate New York, nestled in the Northwest Catskill Mountains. She's also the author of Clean Out Your Life Closet, The Psychic Yellow Brick Road, and You've Got the Magic, Who Needs a Genie? Welcome, Corby. We are thrilled to be speaking with you. It's great to be here, Mike. Thanks for asking. Good. That's excellent to hear. And we talked a little bit before we hit record, but the terms psychic and medium, people hear them, they have an understanding. I think I kind of know what they are. Ish. How do you, you ish, know ish. <laughs> ish? How do you describe to others that this is what you do and this is who you are? Okay. All mediums are psychic, but not all psychics are mediums. Same allegory, all pediatricians are doctors, but not all doctors are pediatricians. Mediums talk to dead people. That's what they do. Psychics can do all kinds of things. Tarot readers, past life specialists, channels, uh, angel, spirit art, all of that. Psychic work is you're getting it through a means that is not just your five senses. So I should know better than to tell you, it's like, I know what these we's mean, because that's a very helpful background for me. And you obviously, you probably knew that anyway. So we're kind of building off that. How did you discover these skills or how did you know this was the life for you? Ah, uh, now you want the 30 second elevator speech. No, I don't want, I want, I I want in- the right story. You go <laughs> as deep as you need to. Okay. When I was nine, I read a book called wow. The Witch Family by Eleanor Estes. And I thought, oh, there's magic in the world. And I wanted to go find it. Fast forward to 1973 when I was a senior in high school. And yes, my dears, that does tell you how old I am. Um, Spencer Gibbs had the James Bond 007 tarot deck and I bought it because we were all hippies then. We had our elephant bell bottoms, our David Crosby fringe jacket and the deck. Five years later, everybody else had gone on to roller skates and disco balls, but I loved the stories that the cards told. So for 20 years, kept reading for friends, honing my skills. All of a sudden in the early 90s, I could do hands-on healing and talk to dead people with no training. That's when the universe handed me my draft notice and said, hello, you're working for us. So I did it part-time with a very checkered career otherwise. Actress, author, inspirational speaker, video producer, uh, writer for the graphic novel series, ElfQuest, executive recruiter, until 9-11. As my husband and I watched the towers burn, I said, I have to do this work full time. People need to know there are other answers out there. He said, I believe in you, go do it. Since then, six days a week, 14 hours a day, I read about a thousand people a year and I get to get up in the morning. I don't have to get up in the morning. That's the key. Okay. Thank, thank you for that incredible backstory. You paint it so vividly. So we'll start here. This is a skill that can be learned or can be honed over time. It is not, it's not a given talent. We are all wired like the same house plan. We are. Everybody can do what I do. I'm not special. And in fact, because I say that, I lost a reality show because I wouldn't let them lie. But it's our circuit breaker. Mine, everything flows. People who believe what I do is the devil's work. It's all locked and rusted shut. And people who think there's nothing to it, 
but they always know when the mother-in-law is coming over, they have a short in the system. They may think they're not getting anything, but they are. Fascinating. Okay. Uh, that. So you mentioned speaking or being able to communicate with dead people. Is that... Mm-hmm. Was that something that frightened you at any point? Was that something you aspired to get to? How did you get there? And what was it like when it actually happened? Well, doing mediumship for other people is not quite how it started. I am something of a doorway for souls that get stuck on earth. And that happened when I really remembered my own past life from World War I. And in Atlanta, all of a sudden, a German soldier from World War I showed up in my living room with half his head blown off. And the first thing he wanted to know was who won. And you have to explain to them, it doesn't matter anymore. Get them to forgive the person that killed them, forgive themselves for their deaths, what they caused, and then you can get them across. So that was my first experience with dead people. To do mediumship, my guides do it weird. I am not the kind of person who just goes, I see a woman in a flower dress handing you a rose, it's grandma. Nah. I look for the dog tags. For instance, my father, Jerome Richard Dorkin, who died in 2001 at the age of 80. Notice that tells me nothing, but gets me right into the energy. And then my guides play charade. Someone smoked, someone had an accident, someone had surgery. And I get some very specific things. For instance, two examples. A woman wanted to speak to her father-in-law. I felt myself miming a pool cue. He had taught her how to play pool. In Canada, a woman wanted to speak to her grandfather, and immediately I feel myself saluting. Now, notice that the palm is out the way it is for Brits and Canadians. As an American, I would salute with my palm toward the ground. But she had just graduated from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police Academy two weeks before, and her grandfather was acknowledging it. That's not, it's a rose, it's your grandmother. That's the kind of mediumship that I'm willing to do. But I won't do it in public, you know, in a, in a gallery setting. So I'm going to put together, the reason for that is that it is to not make a spectacle, a spectacle of it and to respect what you're doing. Is that, the, is that the reason why? Yes, but the actual truth is once we connect, I will say exactly what they're saying. And there have been one or two occasions when what came out of this mouth should not come out of this mouth. It was either urban ebonics or obscenities or suggestion, whatever. But the person in front of me would always giggle because it was a clear message that it wasn't me, but it was their person across the way. So in order to not embarrass myself and not hurt my client, mediumship is very, very private. Now, a past life gallery, I've done those for hundreds. That's a different thing. Does it does it have an impact if your client or the person in front of you has doubts or is not invested? Does does that person's mindset or that person's view of what you're doing have any impact on we, on your work? It depends. Um, if they're skeptics, I love skeptics. They're not cosmic muffins. And I can usually have them leaving the table shaking their heads. On the other hand, I do deserve to be treated with, uh, treated with a little respect. 
If you stand in front of me and say, I don't know, tell me something you couldn't know about me. And if you're right, I'll have a reading. I will look at you and smile and say, I'm sorry, I don't roll over and fetch either. And I will turn my back and you will not get a reading. Another example, trying to wolf down a sandwich, you know, a 10 minute break. A guy leans on my table, pokes my sandwich with his finger and says, you don't need to eat right now. My wife wants a reading. He didn't get it. But a lot of people will treat us like a burger, a latte, or a car wash, not as a respectable professional. You deal with what you deal with. I like that you start with skeptic there, because I think that that is a healthy, there can be a healthy amount of skepticism, but still mm -hmm. respect and honor and uh, be invested in what we're talking about. The other examples you give mm -hmm. are just uh, anywhere from rude to unacceptable. So that that makes sense. I wrote down a few things that you said that I want to follow up on. So I'm certainly going to miss things because I could easily ask you questions for the next two hours, but that is not the premise that we're working under. Uh, first, I'm going to start here. Me, baby, what you got? <laughs> you mentioned a lot of, um, I don't have the term that you used, but uh, let's say short-lived career paths. Are any mm -hmm. of those worth discussing or is there any stories that came out of those that you realized, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. What I should be doing is this. All of them have been folded into this. You know, when the universe hands you your draft notice and you say, okay, it goes rifling through your file cabinet. What do I got? Theater major at Brown University and for a while a professional actress in New York. I understand character arcs and stories. Words are my drug of choice. I'm a writer. I can tell the stories. And I have been interested in history since I was a wee thing in single digits. So I do past lives. On the other hand, do not expect me to do spirit art because I cannot draw a stick figure with a sharp pencil and a lot of prayer, not my wheelhouse. So yes, but let's say somebody comes to me and asks, is my vintage clothing store going to go? Well, yes, I'm absolutely going to do a multifaceted card spread for them, but I directed people on how to enhance their careers for years. Why shouldn't they use my left brain as well as my right? You know, it doesn't mean that they're not getting psychic work. It's a layer on the sandwich. Okay. Thank Besides, you I loved a lot of what I did, but this is what's important. I, I that I can that I can sense as we're talking here. As we are in different locations, is what you do for your clients, is it required to be in the same room? What kind of proximity do you need for it to work right correctly? Are you kidding? I read people from Beijing, from okay. London. You really think they want to come to Schoharie County with the sheep and the cows? No. Uh, besides, I can even read over the phone. If all I could do is read you looking at you, how do you know I'm not reading your body language? Energy's energy. I was nervous slash frightened when I connected onto this call for that very reason. And I kind of was oh, personally oh. hoping that you would tell me, no, I need to be in the same room. So now I'm, I'm going to be thinking that, <laughs> you know, my next question, you know what I'm, you know, know where I'm going to go. So now. All right. The then I'm going to flip. And let me tell you one of the most important things that a psychic can do is engender trust. And that means you don't go rooting around in somebody's brain pan. You know, the um, Long Island medium has done such a disservice. She does what I call drive-by psychic shootings on her show. There's a woman and she's feeling up the cantaloupes and Wegmans and the Long Island medium goes, 
scares me. Your Aunt Doris, she says you have a bald tire in the back and you're going to die in a car accident a week if you don't fix it. She's telling you and walks away. Please let me disabuse you of that notion. Number one, her PR people went all over Long Island to choose a Wegmans. Then they interviewed a bunch of people who wanted to be on the show and had them sign model releases. And then they rehearsed it six times. So no. Honorable intuitives. Do not go poking around in your head unless there is permission. I say there are three things. You pay me. We're bartering and you bring me a chicken. Or it's a gift on my part because you've asked for one and upstairs nudged me and said pro bono for this person. That's it. I do not check you out when you walk by me in the grocery store. I liked you started there with the engender trust because that's how I, I felt as we're talking here. That that is this that is the conversation. And I did not mm-hmm. when I said it, I meant it more of you you have a a sense of what I'm thinking as opposed to let me do something. I never thought of it that way, but as you give the example, mm-hmm. I could see how it could be misabused and how it could be uh, kind of put out in a way that would do more harm than good. So I uh, thank you for that example afterward. That, that helps. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing I, I have in my notes is you mentioned souls get stuck on earth. Why does that happen? I have some sense of why, but, You know, if I knew the entire story, I'd be God. The most important thing that you need to understand is we reincarnate, but we don't. What do I mean by that? The soul is the one that comes down time and time again. The personality, Mike, Corby, we're one and done. This recipe will never be down here again. And so the personality may get energetically stuck kind of a tape loop. It gets lost. It doesn't get all the way up there. The soul is fine. But this is like you dropped your hat in the street kind of thing. Okay. The way I make it clear to people the difference between souls and incarnations is I use the example of the actor Matt Smith. Matt was the 11th doctor on Doctor Who. He was my doctor. But when he hung up the bow tie and the two short pants, he became Prince Philip for the first two seasons of The Crown. And when he hung up the military suit for him, he's now this whack job on House of the Dragon. Matt Smith is like your soul. The doctor, the prince, and the whack job are all different incarnations. They are nothing like each other, but they are brought to life by that singular point. This is even more fascinating. So given that example, which is very helpful for someone like me, do the three characters, are they aware of each other? How, if so, how? And can they communicate with each other? Are your three fingers able to touch? Yes. Um, have I spoken with those parts of my soul that were here 100 years ago? Yes, I have. But it's like two fingers touching, but the two fingers are controlled by the person who owns them. So what is the difference between the soul and the personality when they come back down? Let's use my father as an example. Dad was my best friend. He and I had the same birthday. Um, He was a brilliant cardiologist. And occasionally when I do a medical intuitive reading, if it's cardiac related, dad comes in. What comes down? He still puns terribly. His kindness, his compassion, his medical incisiveness. What's gone? his depression, his anxiety, and his hypochondria, because that was what the 
personality used to learn down here. It wasn't the soul. When we are in our best selves, kind, altruistic, objective, healing, that is our soul shining through. All the dumb things we do, all the nasty stuff, that disappears when we do. It sounds like you make it sound so easy that we could have such a more simplified, better empath life full of empathy. Uh, You know, if we just acknowledge those things, but I'm sure as you've seen, that is not the world. It's difficult because there is so much angst, rage, agita. It's one thing to be able to be all those wonderful things in a Buddhist monastery. New York City, a little tough. Why? That's what, why? Because we are human and we have egos. And most of us react, we don't respond. What's the difference? I hit you, you hit me. That's a reaction. I hit you, you decide, why is she hitting me? Should I duck? Should I just stop her? Should I ask why? That's deciding on a response. And most of us these days, because we are in what they now call polycrisis. We can barely breathe, let alone think and choose. We are being herded like sheep into reaction, feeling helpless, feeling like there's nothing we can do because there's a handful of billionaires that are going to decide our lives. So that's maybe the we can't. Maybe we can't solve the world but you can do something where you are. That, I was going to say, that's the distinction that you draw between human and soul being a reaction mm-hmm. versus being someone who can make a thoughtful response or having that thoughtful response. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> Following along with my notes here, non sequitur, you mentioned having a unfortunate ending on a reality show because you refor- refused to compromise your beliefs what happened there they were ready to sign me and they said and we're going to tell everyone no one can do what you do and you're amazing and the only way i said no that's a lie i told people you can do what i do you can't say i'm that special because i'm not and they shrugged and they went for you know like the seatbelt psychic or something like that uh and i guarantee you every single psychic show you see is a setup now maybe that person is a good reader outside the show but Thomas John Seatbelt Psychic, those are all actors. Those are all actors. The, the bad thing that that does, though, is that sets it up so that people who are just getting into this or whose egos are more important than the work, they feel like they have a right to come and get in your face in public. And if you say, no, thank you, which you should, they keep pushing until you go find someone And this happens to me when I'm doing an expo. I read for 11 hours a day. My neck hurts when I'm doing this. And some little rookie healer, little dancing raccoon says, I can fix that. No, thank you. No, really, I can. I prefer you didn't. No, just let me. Stop it. You're not very love and light, are you? Well, you didn't listen. And I'm telling you, if somebody comes at you like that, that is a drive-by psychic shooting, and you have every single permission in the world to say, I don't want it, I didn't ask for it, and get out of my face. 
because those are the kind of people that make folks like you scared of me. They assume we have no boundaries. For the record, I'm not scared of you. I think you have done a wonderful job of in engendering trust in this conversation. And I am more fascinated but than anything else. nervous in the beginning, said. No, 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 no. I My my mind went to, just to clarify, I was lucky enough to speak to a profiler on the show. And I asked him a similar line of question. He said, I can't turn it off. He's like, I'm here. I'm talking with you. I'm having, but I... I'm watching your eyes. I'm watching, you know, what what you're doing, and it's something I cannot turn off. So my association was that I didn't think anything negative about it, but it was just something that overpowers, and or it was kind of linked to your being. That's yes, I I'm here having a conversation with you, but I'm also picking up X Y Z, which is interesting. That it's not the case that you have the ability to uh, either step back, turn it off, whatever phrase you want to use. When I first started doing this, it was the deal I made with my, the guides and the people who work with me upstairs. I have an open and a closed sign. I want to be able to experience just a normal relationship with my husband. I want to be able to go out to breakfast and concentrate on my scrambled eggs and hash browns and not hear the woman in the next booth saying, oh, my God, does Bruce love me in my head? Thank you. When you make your boundaries clear with the people who work with you that are discarnate, they will honor that. That makes sense. The, the follow-up there, or the, I'll say the kind of next line of question I wanted to ask, you've, you mentioned that you're a writer. You've written three books. Yep. Who should read these books? <laughs> my father would say, everyone, my daughter wrote them. Um, I'm a writer because my father, like me, had a love affair with words, well-crafted. There are different things. The first book I wrote was Clean Out Your Life Closet, which is about clarity, adaptability, simplicity, and making friends with stress. But I don't tell you, do everything I tell you when it all gets better. I haven't lived your life. So it's a book that says, here's some of the dumb things I did. Here's maybe a client story. And here are some thoughts, some suggestions. But at the end of each chapter are questions that you have to answer from your own life. You can't turn to page 82. And you learn that you've already got your answers, that you are brilliant in your own life. You can choose how to change. Okay. Um, the other two books are WikiWoo, as I call it. The Psychic Brick Road, uh, the subtitle is How to Find the Real Wizards and Avoid the Flying Monkeys. I wrote because of something that happened at a fair in Toronto about 18 years ago. 250 booths, and I don't care how good the promoters are, they can't vet everybody. So I was across the way from one of the fake gypsies. And a woman who had paid her admission was looking at the booths and going back and forth. And this fake gypsy runs out and grabs this woman's hand. And in the psychic show parlance, that's called hooking, and it's as bad as the other kind of hooking. But the fake gypsy said, oh, you don't need to pay 30, 40, $50. I need your palm for 10. Come. Drags the woman into her booth. 20 minutes later, a bunch of us watched the woman leave crying hysterically. We ran over to see what happened. And apparently, this uh, gypsy had gone, oh, you have a family curse. How many in your family? Four. You have dog? $50 every family member. 25 for dog. He's small. We fix. 
and told the woman if she didn't burn 400 specially blessed candles at the Roman Catholic Church, I bless real good, only $1 candle. Her entire family was going to die in a car accident in two weeks, and she bought it. So I said, this will not stand. And this book is not How to Be a Psychic Yourself. There are 6,000 books on that. This is, well, let's say that you love sculpture. And you go to the museum and you love seeing it. It doesn't mean you want to come home with a chisel and a block of marble and dig out the camel. You just want to appreciate. So the Psychic Yellow Brick Road is for people who want to use intuitive assistance. They don't have to do it themselves, but they want to know who to trust, what kind of questions work, what doesn't work, when they should run, what can we do? Um, and there are some very funny stories in there because... Trust me, we all get them. And I was delighted to find that several of my friends who are also professional intuitives would read the book, laugh and say, oh, my God, I wish I had this when I was starting. Because <laughs> it's, you know, the things like, does Bruce love me? No. Well, is he going to love me? Not the way you want. Well, if I do such and such, and they keep beating on you trying to get the right answer. Out of you. Um, the other one, you've got the magic who needs a genie. Before the years of Murder Hornet Bingo and Hold My Beer, I was on the road 45 weekends a year, 45,000 miles on the car, and my nickname was the Travel Channel. The universe had been trying to get me off the road for a while, and they did it by giving me a serious back injury in 2019. Doctor said, you are toast for your career. You can't go on the road anymore. So in four months, I hurried up and got my business online just in time for the advent of COVID. And the universe was going, didn't we tell you? And I'm going, yeah. So now uh, I, I'll do occasional shows, you know, within like an hour, hour and a half from here. But I read from home, Zoom, phone. I uh, teach from home. I do all these wonderful podcasts. You know, I love having people who invite me to shoot my mouth off in various places. Um, and I'm not going to be on the road again. So every single thing I learned is in that book because I'm 68. There are 8 billion people in the world. I will die within 20 to 30 years, and I'm not going to read them all. We need the next generation. But in that book, I also put things that I call Corby Gets Candid that you won't find in a business book. For instance, I talk about I always have a sign-in sheet where people write their name and their birthday and their email and have I read them. And it's very important that they do the handwriting. Why? Because many years ago in London, Ontario, I read a young man who did not like what I had to tell him. And the next morning I found an anonymous death threat on my table. Handwriting. Matched it to the handwriting on the signing sheet, handed it over to the Ontario police, and they took care of it. Just because this is intuitive psychic work doesn't mean it's all love, light, and unicorn poo. It's the world. And so I show you how to stay as safe as you can while you do the work you do to make an honorable living, pay your taxes, and do it straight. So and the two things I take away from that, the beginning, mm -hmm. I think your dad was right. There's something in each of those books for everybody, if not multiple of those books. So check them mm -hmm. out if you're listening to this. And two, when you mentioned the handwriting piece, 
if I had a hundred guesses, I don't think that's why I would have got to why you need the handwriting to uh, match it to anonymous death threats. But I'm glad that you were closed that loop for us. So thank you there. <laughs> uh, similar to the to the books, you mentioned, and you know, you're not traveling all that much. We talked a little bit before Ooh. we hit record that you do have an event uh, upcoming at the beginning of April in Saratoga. Who should come yes. see you there, or who will you be working with? Uh, I'll be on my own in a booth, you know, just like I was at the Toronto Fair. And I will be able to do tarot, past lives, spirit guides, angels, dead people, whatever your questions are. Because when you sit down with me, if it's only 15 or 30 minutes, I will say, what's the most important thing you want to get out of here knowing so I can drill down deep for you? Not just scattershot, and maybe I'll get to what you wanted. But there are also other readers, I'm not the only good one in the world, vendors of all kinds of delicious stuff, musicians. Uh, it's probably about 100 booths and great fun. So take the day between Good Friday and Easter, go to the Saratoga Civic Center and come see us and come play. I love it. I will certainly post that in our, in our notes because anybody in the, in the area should come see you. If anybody listening wants to, and they can't make it to Saratoga, where can they find you or where can they connect with you? Oh, Mike, they can't avoid me. <laughs> they really can't. <laughs> you go to my website, corbymitlie.com. You can find me on Instagram, Pinterest, Twist, uh, Twitter, YouTube, Medium, all under Corby Mitlide. You can find me on Facebook at Corby Mitlide Psychic at Fire Through Spirit, which was the original name of my business. And if you want to learn with me on a regular basis, you'll find me at Patreon. Excellent. I think I've got an idea for the the answer to this question because somehow we're already at time. And like I said, I could easily ask you questions all night, but I will let I will let you go and not do that. But this is where I want to end. Okay. You mentioned that not all of the information you're providing your clients is positive. Not always good news. Sometimes it can be negative because you're dealing in the truth. Is there any reason somebody, you know, besides they might hear something they don't want. Is there a reason somebody shouldn't be connected with prior personalities of their soul or have a better understanding or being able to connect those two fingers? Is there a reason somebody shouldn't, or is this something everybody should at least consider? Yeah, because if you're a janitor in the morning, you find out that you're Napoleon Bonaparte, what are you going to do with this life? Okay. And don't come to me and say, I must've been Anne Boleyn because I can't wear turtlenecks. I will walk you out the door. I will say one very quick story to explain why knowing a past life is important. And again, this was at, at, at an expo. A woman says, my son is 29. He won't make any decisions without me. He won't live more than a mile from me. This is just not right. What's going on? And I was able to do a quick upstairs run. And I said, okay, I'm seeing 1944 Utah Beach. So this is D-Day. Your son is on the beach. He's down. He has a lot of shrapnel on his leg. You're his commanding officer and you're scrabbling over the dunes. You drag him to safety. You take some shrapnel yourself, but you both get out of there and you both live. And I open my eyes and she looks at me. She's very pale. She says, can you see my rank? I said, oh yeah, you were a sergeant. She goes, he's called me sergeant since he was three years old and we've never known why. Boom. When he realizes he is reliving an old life, if his mother can share that with him, it might break open his independence. 
that only seems to strengthen that this is something that everybody should consider, should do, because more information can only help in a situation like that. And I mean, I, I am certainly more, way more fascinated. Now that I wasn't, but after this conversation, I, I find you very trustworthy. I find you professional and I am fascinated by the types of things I think you can tell me. So I will be one of those people that seek you out once we, uh, once we have stopped this episode here. So Corby, thank you so much for uh, joining us. This was a blast, uh, a learning experience and pretty much everything in between. So thank you. It was a pleasure.